Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 27 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am out here in sunny and beautiful Waco Tanks, Texas. I'm here to MC the Waco Rock Rodeo, which starts officially tomorrow. Um, and by the time you're hearing this, it'll be officially today. So if you're listening to this on your way to Waco... Um, Come and say hi. I'll be the guy with the microphone and the loud voice all weekend long at the Rock Ranch. And, uh, you know, I wanted to get this out to you guys before the rodeo started because I know I'll be swamped. And I know that you guys all got spoiled. I mean, we were doing an episode a week uh, leading up until the new year. And since then, we've just been doing a couple of months. So I know you got spoiled. I did a little too, frankly. And, um, you know, I want to I wanna write that ship, so I'll make a deal with you guys. We are currently $3 a month away from our next goal of $100 per month on our Patreon page, um, and that means that you just pledge a certain amount per month. Could be $1. If three of you do a dollar, we'll reach our $100 goal, and on the page it says that we can guarantee two podcasts a month once we reach that, but... I'll go ahead and say that I'll guarantee three, because I mean, I'm already doing two, so might as well step it up if you guys do. Yeah, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. so please go check that out. Um, also, go to iTunes, leave some reviews and ratings. You guys have been great about that, and I really, really hugely appreciate it. And uh, I just wanted to read a couple of reviews from some good friends of mine who are also out here in Waco. Um titled Best in the Game from Johnny Snaps Wesley, a.k.a. Johnny Lightning. Uh, photographer extraordinaire. If you aren't following him on Instagram, Lightning Snaps, you should be. Uh, he says, listening to this podcast is so beneficial for my climbing that I'm not even sure I need to train anymore. I measured my forearms after listening to the episode with Drew Mack, and they grew two inches in circumference. After the Arno episode, I resided in this new Zen space that allows me to literally float a few inches off the ground, but only if I choose to. That's a fact, actually. I've seen Johnny Lightning float. Um, he's quite good at it, actually. And uh, the second one I want to read from Johnny's significant other and, you know, frankly, better half, let's just be honest, Hannah Dwyer, says... Titled, Lost My Boyfriend to This Podcast, and she says, My boo is bad enough at listening normally, but when a new power company comes out, Bay is completely unreachable. The worst part is, the PCAST is so good, I can't even get mad. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Johnny. I appreciate you guys. You guys go to iTunes, leave uh, ratings and reviews, or go to patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast and uh, pledge some hard-earned monies. We'll make it worth your while. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and get on with this thing because I've got a great conversation with our strength and conditioning coach and good friend, Paul Corsaro. And we're talking about why form matters in both your strength training and in your climbing training and really in your performance and everything you do. Why form, why breathing, why all that matters. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and let uh, Paul take it away. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, this time, this time. If you're not being mindful about doing things correctly and keeping good, safe form, proper alignment in your joints, compromising form to put up bigger numbers doesn't mean you got stronger at all. I'm actually heading out there, and there's actually been some climbing development that's going on out there. Uh, I was able to do a little bit of sport climbing. I was last out there. Really cool setting, and uh, there's a climbing, a bouldering competition happening. While you're going to be there? While I'm there. It's the last day I'm there, so, and my flight's in the late 
late evening, so I don't know if I'll be able to do the actual bouldering competition. Yeah. But I'm going out there to help tag up the boulders, and they're doing kind of a triple crown style thing. So. Oh, that's really cool. Just it's, yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, there's Instagram accounts out there bouldering Hawaii couple other ones but um yeah. there's, there's the some photos cool... from your sport climbing looked cool yeah it was a uh, the setting was pretty unbelievable cool solid blobby lava rock with really cryptic sequences on the beach with the breeze blowing through yeah and um, you just like hooked up with some people on the interwebs right? yeah i reached out to again that bouldering hawaii account it's a guy named matt Ludi. um super friendly um yeah i sent him in just a instagram message out of the blue and uh kind of asked about some beta for climbing out there and his response was, yeah, we're heading out these days. Here's a phone number. Come climb with us. Oh, man, that's the and best. it that's, was great. That's one of the coolest things about this community, for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, that happens again and again and again. Yep. It's, it's really cool to see. Yep. And people who put time into developing and spend their money and time looking for stuff, they're super stoked to share it usually, and we're lucky to have those people out there. So, Matt, yep. if you listen to this, thanks for hooking me up. Uh, all yeah. the people I met out there, I'm excited to meet more of you. It'll be a good time. Awesome. Shout out Matt Ludi, is that his yes. name? Ludi? Yes. Cool. Shout out Matt. Um, so what, what we're going to talk about today, um, among other things, is why form is important, uh, specifically when you're strength training. Uh, I see a lot of dudes, in, and really frankly, I kind of came from this background originally where you, you're really focused on the weight you know, sort of similar in climbing to how you're super focused on the numbers, and that becomes this the most important part of it. Um, and then they compromise their form just to throw up bigger numbers, you know, and, and that's a big mistake. And, and I think we should just talk about why, because I think a lot of people don't even understand it. They're just like, well, but I'm lifting heavier. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, let's, let's dig into that. Yeah. So I guess the first thing to think about there is you just got to consider um, you got your short-term viewpoint and your long-term viewpoint. In short-term, yes, yeah, maybe this next session or the session after that, you'll be able to lift a little bit heavier and a little bit heavier. But if you're not being mindful about doing things correctly and keeping good, safe form, proper alignment in your joints, you're going to increase in your ability or your uh, the numbers you put up. I won't say strength because I think compromising form to put up bigger numbers doesn't mean you got stronger at all sure but sure. um yeah, you'll point. increase you'll increasing your i guess measurable results shortly but that's going to lead to either plateau overtraining um or you're getting hurt and then you're gonna have to back off and start all over again and kind of not really have gone anywhere where if you take the long-term viewpoint and just be a little bit more patient um own own your weight own the weight you're working with um hopefully that injury or that plateau doesn't happen and you can keep slowly chipping chipping your weight up, chipping your performance up over time, and your long-term results are going to be much more significant and much more sustainable than just yeah. trying to add another plate on and just getting it up off the ground any way you can. Yeah, and I think that, I think that was a cool point that you made. Um, and to kind of unpack that a little bit in climbing terms for people out there who are like, well, I put up a bigger number. Of course I got stronger. You know, I think maybe it's like, if you're looking at a boulder problem in the gym and, you know, say it's this random V5 in the gym and you can't do the move off of the sloper. So instead you mono the bolt hole and then you can do the problem. It doesn't mean you got better. You didn't improve and that's how you did the problem. All you did was compromise, you know, the, the, correct way to do the problem and you, then you were able to do it correct. but you didn't get any stronger right and it, that's basically what you're saying yes yeah um and th- it's important to figure out the most efficient way to do something but looking at the long-term view of things yeah once you do that next problem or you lift that next weight you're automatically or next yeah next amount of weight you lift you're automatically going to look at the next thing right. what's the next step and if you weren't sustainable or reasonable in how you achieved the previous step, you really haven't moved down the path towards the next step. Right, right. Like on the next problem, you're going to get a more shallow bolt hole. Yeah. It's just not going to work. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. sustainable. Yeah, totally. And I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that. And then they end up just bailing. Yeah. Like they, you know, oh, I got stronger. I got to this point. All right, I'm done. 
Yeah. You know, and they just move on to whatever else. I don't need to get stronger anymore because I did this amount of weight. Right. You know, I think that's a big mistake. Um, so injury wise, you mentioned, you mentioned injuries in there. Uh, yeah. So good form, uh, a lot of the reasons there are accepted forms for certain movements. Let's just say, take a deadlift, for example. Yep. Uh, good form and deadlift at the very base. I mean, you can dive. We could have a three-hour podcast about deadlift technique. Sure. Yep. And you had a really great one with uh, Steve and Charlie Steve and about Charlie, deadlift yep. technique. That's a great one. Uh, check it out if you haven't listened to it. But um, basic deadlift technique from a very broad brush. You want to hinge with your hips, reach back with your hips, keep your back straight. You're not arching or flexing extensively in either direction and wedging your hips through the ground to stand up. Basic deadlift form. Um, mechanically, it's not the most efficient way to pick it up, but right. because it's inefficient, inefficient doesn't mean not safe. Inefficient requires you and your body to generate enough tension to get it off the ground, where the more efficient way to get it off the ground, you have, you have to generate, you don't have to generate as much tension, but you're gonna flex at your lumbar spine, you may lose your shoulder packing, Right. Um, you may squat it. And yep, you're going to bend a bunch to your knees. Yeah. And, and just, sure, you may get it up that one time, but I'll take one rep, done well, bending where I'm supposed to and not bending where I'm not supposed to, then 10 reps, bending where I'm not supposed to, and yeah, for sure. blowing out so a the, disc. So the goal isn't the weight. That's right. what you're saying. The goal is to do a good hinge pattern with a sufficient amount of resistance absolutely and we i i um um i make it very obvious that i'm a big fan of kettlebells they're not the only tool but one yeah. of the things i really like about kettlebells is they're big jumps in weight so usually yeah four to eight kilograms in a jump and that's upwards of that's around 16 pounds ish i'm not that great at math but yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> so you're forced to work with the same weight for a long amount of time. Like you, it's, yeah. you're not throwing a little two and a half pound plate at the end of the bar and trying to do a little bit more. You're really forced to own the movement. Yep. You know, dial in some of the more subtle, fo- subtle aspects of that movement. And over time you put in a lot of reps, a lot of movements with a certain weight, and then you're able to access that new weight, but it kind of curtails the, Hey, what's the next step? How am I going to add a little bit more weight? How am I going to, yeah, totally. Cause you're going to. You know, if you're trying Turkish get-ups with 16 pounds more than what you just struggled on, you're probably going to drop it on your face. Yeah. And no one wins in that situation. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, nobody. Best case scenario is you're going to the hospital. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that kind of threw me off when I first got involved with kettlebells was how was that big jump in weight. Because I came from that, like, high school weightlifting background where you're trying to add a pound on each week to your bench press, you know. Mm-hmm. And... And it really threw me off, but it, what it did was force me to really focus on making, you know, really owning that bell, like you put it, and, and making my form absolutely perfect. And then once I, once I was going down that rabbit hole, it, it became obvious how applicable to climbing keeping good form was. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's hugely important. Even, you know, even if you don't want to listen to the, you're going to hurt yourself or anything else as a climber, really, that's the the best transfer you're going to get is by focusing on that form, you know, and you and I were just talking about uh, Josh Waitskin and his concept of, you know, smaller circles, making smaller circles. Um, Talk to me about that, how it relates to form and and really dialing in your form so josh waitskin wrote a book called the art of learning that was super influential and in how i kind of view training as a whole um it's a great book you should check it out if you are interested in stuff like this yeah but nate ba- and i both recommend that book all yeah, the time so. it's 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 incredible um so the, making smaller circles it takes a movement uh, skill, anything really. Uh, we'll just look at the deadlift again, just because we'll kind of stay consistent sure. with our and examples. That, and that's the one people know nowadays, right? Yeah. So you know, you've got your basic circle. Did I lift the weight off the ground? Now let's take it a little bit deeper. Did I reach back with my hips? Was I driving through my hips? Okay, I did that. Let's make the circle a little bit smaller. Was I driving through my heels or was I rocking into my the balls of my feet? Um, 
even make make the circle a little bit smaller was i feeling my whole foot instead of just pushing with my heels right um, and you can just kind of get <clears throat> deeper and deeper but this act of drawing smaller circles or kind of zeroing in on different facets of movement really help you be mindful about your movement technique and how you're performing a movement instead of just worrying about the end result and by being mindful of the subtle nuances of a movement you learn a lot of lessons that way and yeah. a lot of these lessons you can apply to something wildly different than what you're doing at the time and um all these lessons and skills you learn and concepts that you can take um concepts are a lot better than just a movement because sure. they can apply to different things and yeah. A lot of concepts are kind of hidden at first. So by zeroing in and focusing on subtle details, there's always something more to learn. Yeah, and that that's interesting. Like you look at the you look at the little minor details and that might open up the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's a that's an interesting way to look at it. And and I think you're right and that's the at at the heart of it for me, that's where strength training and climbing really overlap. You know, I know people do it because they want to get stronger, but I think it's also a really great way to learn how to make smaller circles mm -hmm. in a in a less complicated environment than rock climbing. Absolutely, and especially when you're training by yourself, or even in yeah, a gym where you're yeah. kind of working your own your own routine. There's other people doing stuff. It's way different than working on a boulder where there's 15 other people either For waiting sure. their turn or watching you or yelling at you to breathe or something like that. <clears throat> And you can take the mental skills of dialing into your movement and seeing where you can improve just a little bit more. And once you've got, because everything takes reps, lifting weights, you got to put the reps in, picking the yep. bar up. Yep. Uh, climbing, you got to get the reps in, climbing and doing these movements. But, and you got to get mental reps of practicing the abstract skill behind that of being aware of how you're moving and finding finer details in your movement. So by being able to perform those mental repetitions of making smaller circles in a, like you said, a less complicated environment, it's going to be easier to do that in a performance environment or you're outside climbing with your friends or you're trying your project and you're getting frustrated. You can kind of switch gears and think back more on making smaller circles instead of worrying about the end result and getting mad because you... Yep did the same thing th three times in a row and you're punting off boulders and which all of us do yep 100%. You know, and 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 truly it's things like you know refining the turkish get up you know when i whenever i program in turkish get ups i always start my summary of that workout with treat the turkish get up like a difficult boulder problem like you need to learn every little part of it make every little part perfect before you're able to do the whole thing. Absolutely. You know? And and just like a boulder problem, you can you can do the first half of a Turkish get up great and then the second half might fall to shit. And that's okay because you're still learning. Right. You know, and that's something that's really I was really impressed by watching you coach a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of our clients, Chris came into town and uh, and you coached him through a session with kettlebells and one of the things I was both surprised by and impressed by was that you definitely dug into the technique, but even when it was obvious to me that there were still some technique flaws that I might have gotten wrapped up in, you just made the concept clear that we just have to keep improving this, and then you would, good job, and you'd move on. But you made it clear to him that that form and technique is this ever evolving thing. Yeah, you're never truly you're never truly done learning a movement. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think we need to beat ourselves up over oh my form was bad, that one sucked, that one didn't count. You know, it's nothing like that. And and when I'm coaching from now on, I don't need to harp on every little problem because Frankly, just like on a boulder problem, you can't learn 12 things at right. once. You can't do it while you're lifting either. Yeah. And as a coach, I used to do that. Like I was the number one, uh, I guess, proponent of, hey, we got to do this perfect. And, hey, you did this rep. You need to fix this, 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 and this. And I just realized people would shut down. Like, yeah. 
they either shut down because they had to think about too much or they felt they were just bad at it. I mean, that'll happen. You'll see people get real negative real quick if they're just like, oh, I did all these things wrong. And when you, you know, you, you go into something with a negative mindset, it's really hard to get something positive out of it. And I've just found, I've had a lot more success just maybe backing off a little bit and just doing a couple reps and just, you know, zeroing in, fixing the big stuff first, yep. you know, focus on this big underlying concept. Okay, that's pretty good. Here's how we can make it a little bit better. And it's never like, hey, you did this wrong. You need to fix this. Like, hey, we need to make this just, how do you make it a little bit better? How do you refine it that 1%? Get yep. a little bit better each time. Yeah, totally. It's a it's a never-ending process, really. And I've kind of battled with this idea uh, for quite a while now, um, partially because I'm, I'm, my, I'm my own devil's advocate a lot of the time. You know, I think that's how... I'm able to be successful in things is because I challenge myself. And with this remote training, I've often questioned, should I be asking people to do these things if I don't know they're doing them perfectly? But then the other side of me is like, well, you know what? When you were learning to lift, you didn't have a clue if you were doing everything perfectly. And there's a lot more resources out there now to learn than there were back then. Yeah. You know, they can just Google it from wherever they're yeah. working out. Internet's pretty cool. And we provide videos and descriptions and everything else. So, so on one side I feel okay with it. On the other side, I'm like, I don't know if I should be doing this, you know, but, but watching you coach that way and, and just instilling that it's a, a process that you should keep thinking about. Um, that makes me feel quite a bit better about, asking people to do some frankly simple things yeah. and as long as they're not hurting themselves and then this is something you say pretty often uh, i've heard you say it to annalisa when she was talking about swings um is it hurting your back and she said no and you were like well then you're doing it right you know yeah. we could probably fix it we can make it a little better but you're doing it right yeah and uh yeah outside of like the main kind of cardinal i guess Probably the biggest cardinal rule in strength training, uh, looking at the whole body, is don't flex or extend your spine, your your lower back, your lumbar spine <clears throat> under load. Yeah. If you can keep that stable, you can build off of that. But if yeah. something's hurting or you're loading your back, um, super flexed or extended, more than you can handle. And like you know, I'm talking and thinking as I talk. And of course, there's always exceptions to every. Like rule. the Jefferson curl. That's that exactly what popped. Coach in my Summers head. made. Yeah. Popular. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a really good exercise. You just got to be very careful with it. Yeah. Um, yep. I. <clears throat> yeah, it's a really good exercise. You got to be careful with it. And there's obviously exceptions to every rule. But when I train people, I really like to keep a stable spine. I don't like to load it, and that's my cardinal. I guess my cardinal guideline for almost every strength movement I do, whether it's an overhead press, because you've seen those people press an overhead. Yep. You get, they get that crazy arch in the back. They throw their hips forward. and yep. I mean, if you think about it, you've got all that weight coming down on top of your spinal column, and if your lower spine, your lower back's in front of your upper back, all that pressure's coming down in the back, back of your vertebrae, yep, uh, totally. stressing those discs. Um, but yeah, so once you can control your spine and move right around without relying on the support of pressing vertebrae together and it's not hurting you're good and then it's time to start refining and getting a little bit better yeah yeah even you know that brings me to another idea you know the thought of this jefferson curl and being in somewhat of a, a compromised position while you're training um you know when it comes to climbing things like the closed crimp mm -hmm. you know it's it's popular and i'm guilty of saying that you shouldn't train in a closed crimp position. And I think for most people, that's true. Um, but I've trained in a closed crimp position because it's a weakness of mine. I'm not good at, at crimping down on things. So, so I need to train that to get better at it, but I do it really, really carefully. Yeah. And, you know, like coach Summers pointed out in the Tim Ferriss podcast where I was first introduced to the Jefferson curl was that you're going to get into that compromised position if you're a high-level gymnast, you're going to end up in that position. Right. So why not train and, you know, gradually load that position so that you can, you can withstand it once mm -hmm. you're there? You know, and I think that's a super important thing to note is that, A, it has to be super gradual, and it has to be specific to you. Right. You know, not everybody needs to be doing Jefferson curls. 
mm-hmm. and not everyone needs to be closed crimping when they train. I agree. So, and um, yeah, especially when I think about how I strength train a lot of rock climbers, and if you watch people rock climb, the core and spine stay pretty straight for the most part when you're climbing. If you've got the adequate mobility in your hips, if your right, hips are right. super tight, you're gonna have to compensate somewhere else. But you know, ideally, you want to keep the mo- limit movement through your midsection. So ideally I would stay out of training the spine and, you know, flexor extended positions Right. for a climber. And also a lot of the strength training I do for climbers, I really like to view as supplementary because, you know, you're going to get better at climbing and make the biggest improvements in climbing by rock climbing. Yep. Totally. So I will never tell someone they need to, you know, skip out on a climbing skill practice day to, you know, you need to deadlift more weight or you need to do some weighted pull-ups like, Right. There, you know, again, there are always outliers. And as soon as you said, I would never tell someone that it was really funny because I just wrote into someone's plan. Even if you have to skip the climbing day, make sure you get these. <laughs> but it's a client of mine who I've worked with for a long time, who we know that general overall body strength is his limiting factor. Okay. He's a yeah. really good rock climber. His just his overall body strength is the limiting factor, but m- for most people that's not the case. Your mm-hmm. technique is probably not good enough that you're even you're even using the strength that you ha- currently have available. Right. You know, so getting stronger may not necessarily be the answer. If you can, everyone only- could continue getting stronger for sure. Mm-hmm. No question about that. But it doesn't need to be your main focus, is what you're saying, right? Because if you can only access a portion of your reserve of strength, right? Because your technique's kind of that gatekeeper, that window's only kind of, yep. that window's only a quarter of the way open. It doesn't matter how much the area behind that window, how big that is, right? If you can only get through that quarter. Like your technique's going to open that window more, and you'll be able to have access to that a lot better. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, man, there was just something I was thinking about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about compromised positions and training in those uh, training in those compromised positions and that brought up another thought you and I actually had a conversation about this last winter um, and it's it was, our conversation was surrounding some posts that our friend uh, friend of the power company Natasha Barnes had posted and and I was just trying to make sense of things in my head and she posts a lot about how you should be um, training in these correct postures and correct positions. And the thing that really got me thinking was a post about a resting position. You should be resting in this position. And I was like, I've never rested in my life in that position, and I'm really good at resting, so this is bullshit. You know? <laughs> but then when I talked to you about it, it started to make a little more sense that that you're it's a good idea to train in those positions and then when athletes perform almost across the board you know whether it's weightlifters or football players or whatever they almost always go into compromising positions so if i'm on red point and and I need to, you know, I can't hold the square, you know, shoulders back position for resting. And I need to sag onto my connective tissue to get some back. That's what I'm going to do, you know. But I think yeah. training that, training to be better at that position is what Natasha was getting at and what you sort of explained to me. Am I, am I, yeah. Looking at that the right way now? Absolutely. If you think by the, about, by the way, shout out, Natasha. Yeah, for sure. Great stuff. Um, if you think about uh, performance versus training, training is a very controlled setting where you're trying to get better and improve the qualities you have that you can utilize in a performance situation. And in a performance situation, all the rules are out the window. Like You, you want to get to the top of the climb. You want to top out the boulder. You want to clip the chains on the anchor. A uh, power lifter wants to deadlift an insane amount of weight and you right. watch videos of some of super high level power lifters deadlifting a lot of weight and you know some of them are ugly but they still get a good lift at the end and one for the most part one lift with a little bit sketchy form um if you're successful and it doesn't hurt awesome you, you did it you put it down move on to the next weight uh, continue your competition <clears throat> say you're at a rest you're hanging off your shoulders like and you're not going to get hurt 
but you recover more than trying to keep your lats packed, your shoulders down. Um, right. You're saving energy, and you go and clip the chains. That's the goal. Um, right. But in training where you can be a lot more controlled in your movements and really focus on good technique, and you're doing these repetitions in training a lot more than you're doing in a performance setting. You're resting more in a performance setting. Uh, you know, lifters, it's one attempt. You're not doing a set of five. Right, right. And the difference in the the load is just exponential there. Yeah, like, no doubt. So obviously doing something poorly 20 times is going to be st- prob- the probability of getting hurt is much higher there than doing it one time. And yep. you train to get better at performance. So yeah, do what you need to do to be successful. But when you can control your training... Uh, you can get stronger in these uh, more mechanically inefficient positions to build that strength, so you can be more efficient. You know yeah, while you're resting. Yeah. So yeah, it's, totally. It's a uh, exactly yeah. Being mechanically inefficient forces you to create more tension and keep everything stronger and safer. Yep. So you can afford to be inefficient. You can afford to be more efficient when you're trying to actually do the task. You're right, doing. right. And if I get better at that you know, what, what might be more mechanically inefficient. If I get better at that position through training and it's a safer position, then chances are on, you know, three of the rests on my mega proj, I can, I can keep that safer position. And it's just at the last rest where I need to go into that less safe position to get back what I need. And then I finish the route just like a, a power lifter, deadlifting one somewhat sloppy rep yeah just getting it up and if you think about at a rest especially in the climbing rest when you're shaking out the last thing you really want to be thinking about is oh i need to keep my lats tight i need right, to keep right. my shoulders packed you need to breathe get your heart rate down get ready for the next section of rock climbing yeah that's why i was having trouble with natasha's posts in my head because mm-hmm. i just you know i'm like i would never do that i can't yeah. imagine ever doing that but i was also looking at it from the or through the lens of someone who's trained endurance extensively and almost never rests while I'm training anymore. Right. You know, so when I looked at a resting position, I'm like, that's a, that's a position I only see in performance mm-hmm. and I would never think about that. Yeah. And that's, but a, I get it now. And that's an interesting point too. Cause there's been a, a lot of kind of discussion about the same kind of shoulder position and hanging too right right so like hangboard training and finger training about shoulder position i completely agree you should keep your shoulders down and packed when you're hanging um and that makes a lot of sense to me yep yeah totally and and there are going to be times when you know let's look at campusing for example there are you don't want a campus where you hit um, you hit the next rung and your, your shoulder, you just land on your connective yeah. tissue. Shoulder goes past your ear. Yeah. You don't want that to happen when you're campusing, but it's going to happen on a route mm-hmm. or a boulder problem. Most likely. Um, the key is you're trying to get better at doing it in a controlled way so that you can then apply that controlled way to your performance time. Um, so that there's, that's less likely that's going to happen while you're outperforming yeah. we're, we're trying to train so we can be better at this for a long time right exactly not, yep not just so we can do the next boulder problem yeah. i think the majority of climbers out there would like to continue climbing for the rest of their life i know i would yeah i hope and, so yeah but um it's it's one of my favorite quotes it's kind of over the top but uh being strong makes you harder to kill but going yeah. back on that um you know strength training correctly makes you more resilient and yep. so you know, keeping proper alignment when you're training helps you be more resilient and not just kind of explode everywhere the second you get out of alignment mm-hmm. in a performance setting. Totally. So back on, you know, people sort of self-coaching, are there things people can think about while they're, you know, just trying to keep good form uh, themselves just in general? It doesn't have to be on a specific exercise, just concepts or ideas that people should watch out for uh i would always try and keep some core attention and think about really driving especially on any lifts where you're picking the weight off the ground or squatting or something like that less about standing up with the weight and more about pushing the ground away 
because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times people will subconsciously think about oh, and a deadlift. We'll just keep using that example. If I want to pick the weight up, I'm gonna arch my back just because I want to get it off the ground and get my head as far away from the ground as possible. Right is gonna make us feel like we're getting the weight up higher, but we're really getting into that threatening position we talked about before. Well, if we think about, I'm going to keep everything tight and strong in my upper body and just push the ground away, you're going to be much more likely to keep your spine straight, um, generate the force through the muscle groups we want to develop by training the deadlift instead of relying on more of our stabilizers and compensating through that. Um, And then just trying to keep some core tension when we're lifting. That's what I was about to ask. Do you suggest keeping the core tight through all lifts? For the most part, yes. Again, there's always exceptions, but yes, I'd say that. And instead of really thinking about squeezing my abs, I like to think about, you know, contracting my glutes, squeezing my glutes together, because that leads to a greater activation in your core. Um, When I'm doing an overhead press, trying to crush the handle of the bell or the bar, just that concept of irradiation, uh, the more tension we can generate throughout our entire body, everything's going to contract a lot tighter a lot stronger yeah totally and i had a funny conversation with my friend les who's whose dining room we're sitting in recording (laughs) right now so thanks les for letting us use your house and uh he i've been working with les for a little while and one of the core workouts i have him doing uh includes some bird dog crunches and he was doing them with uh his his girlfriend kalina and he was like battling it out and she's just like she's just cruising through him like are these hard for you like what's the problem and what the difference was is less really took to heart the idea of keeping your core super tight and making everything really controlled and tight rather than just let's see how many of these i can do you know and kalina was still in that mindset of I'm going to relax everything else as much as possible and just do this motion. Yeah. You know, sort of, I don't know, aerobics style or something. And, um, you know, I think that's a big mistake that people make in their, maybe it's not exactly form, but maybe it is. And like with planks, I think are a really great example. I agree completely. And what I'm looking for in a plank is, you know, obviously a cardinal rule, keeping that back straight. A lot of people will say, hey, I can hold a plank for five minutes. And you watch them hold their plank, and after 10 seconds, they look like a U. Their, their belly's sagging right. to the ground. They think because they haven't fallen yeah. that they're still holding they're, And <clears throat> if you can hold a plank longer than 15 seconds, you need to try harder. Yeah. You need to try and pull your elbows to your toes, try and compress the ground between those elbows and toes, squeeze your butt as hard as you can. Mm. Yep. And um, that'll feel way different. Crush your fists, too. That's another really good one that people yep. don't think about. Squeeze your hands together as hard as you possibly can. That's going to lead to greater tension generated through the rest of the body. And that that plank's going to feel a lot different if you haven't tried that. Yep. And that's all sort of based on Pavel's, uh, at least that's where I first heard of irradiation. Yeah. Um, those hard style tension techniques. Yep. Just, yeah. And we use, we use a lot of these irradiation techniques in our climbing drills um, specifically for tension. Yeah. Uh, so let's just talk about irradiation for a second, just so if people think they, you know, have really dialed in this move or this exercise and they're like, oh, my, you know, my form's the best it could ever be. I need to step up and wait. I think irradiation is a good thing to start thinking about because it can make that exercise feel a hell of a lot harder. Absolutely. Um, and it can, you know, produce more force. Yeah, you know, I think you just do you know, as soon as you start practicing it. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, irradiation. So in that plank we were talking about squeezing, uh, just making as tight as fist as possible. Um, in a press, thinking about when you're pressing the bell or bar overhead. Let's just take a kettlebell for example. So we're doing a one arm press. Um, I'm pressing the bar, the bell with my right hand. I'm trying to crush the handle of the bell into dust with my right hand. But also with my left hand, I'm making that fist as well. Right. So what, what's the theory behind this? Why, so why it's a, do it? It's a nervous system thing. By trying to generate as much hands through your much as much force through your hands, that's going to travel up, uh, lead to a better contraction of the rotator cuff muscles, and it's kind of a feed forward mechanism. So if you're trying to generate more tension somewhere other than where you're trying to lift, because obviously with the part of your body you're trying to do the actual exercise with, even though we want to focus on form a lot subconsciously we want to be successful in the lift so really being conscious about generating as much tension somewhere else 
that's going to feed forward into more tension on the working appendage. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's kind of interesting because there's studies that have shown um, even when people are injured and they can't, you know, uh, say say you've blown out your right shoulder and you can't lift with your uh, with that hand with that arm that's hurt. Strength training the other arm will lead to a nervous system increase in strength on the yeah, injured I've, arm. Yeah, I've heard this before. The it's, body's connected, so yeah, trying to yeah. treat the body as just uh, the Frankenstein approach, where it's just multiple parts just kind of stitched together. You could be missing out on a lot of opportunities to get stronger in <clears throat> in situations where you can't. Um, yep. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah. And, you know, Pavel does a really good job of explaining it that that sort of made it make sense to me. And this is the description I use for a lot of my clients that, you know, if you, it's all about all the muscles are connected and, you know, creating force in one muscle is going to help the force in the next one. And for instance, if you're trying to make a fist and squeeze your fist as hard as you can, unless you're starting to flex your forearm and then starting to flex your bicep and starting to flex your shoulder and then it goes down into your pec and into your lats unless all those things get tight you're still not making the tightest fist you can right you know and i think that that just applies to to whatever and if you use that as part of your training you're inevitably going to get stronger absolutely and a good example of that outside of training think about when you're trying to open a jar that's stuck together Think about what you naturally do. You squeeze the, right, the lid. Right. You don't stand straight up and you're relaxed everywhere else. You're other hunched than, over other that. Other than cussing, you mean. Yeah, well, yeah. of course, you got to <laughs> let those words fly. But uh, yeah, you're hunched over that thing and you're using your whole body to open that. Your yeah. shoulders are tight. You're digging your feet into the ground. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's really helpful to generate a lot of force by focusing on the whole body as a unit instead of just the uh, respective parts that you may think are doing all the work because they're not. Yeah, maybe that's all we need as a strength training tool are just really tight really jars. Yeah. It could be something fun to play around <laughs> with. Yeah, so I, you know, and I we we apply that to climbing because that's how climbing moves work. You know, if if you're trying the hardest boulder problem you've ever done, your your whole body is tired in three or four moves. Yep. You know, and that's because you're not trying to hold a five minute long plank. Yeah. You know, you're, you can't be sloppy and relax and still expect the hardest move you've ever done to work. It's not going to. So you have to get good at being super tight all the time and being, being able to engage all these muscles while remaining in good form uh, to make hard moves work. Yep. Um, And that's why we practice it strength training. Yep, and there's ex- that, those are all great examples of where we really want to, you know, generate as much force as we can. Really, just try and almost overkill the force. Um, there's one example where I'd probably because it is important to keep that kind of mid level tension. So, like, you know, when we're trying to walk, we're not trying to squeeze everything as hard as right, we can right, so we right, don't right, get right, hurt. Yeah. And carries are a great example mm-hmm. to kind of practice that. You know, working mm-hmm. on keeping the hips lined, keeping some gentle tension through the core. Yeah. Um, and just you know, working through our gait and keeping everything aligned and you know, we don't have to hold our breath and crush the other fist and squeeze as hard right, as we right. can to, to walk with something. But uh, for the most part, when you're lifting, you want to overkill with the tension. Yep. And I'm glad you just said hold your breath because that's kind of the next level, I think, of practicing your radiation through something like a hard style plank. You know, I, I, I try to get people to, once they feel like they're doing a good job of tensing up everything, almost across the board they're holding their breath mm-hmm. you know and then then i cue them to breathe you know try to breathe through those 10 seconds of holding this hard style plank and it's a lot harder than it sounds oh yeah do you feel like breathing is a part of good form where does that fall absolutely so breathing correctly using your diaphragm pulling that diaphragm down which allows the lung to in, lungs to inflate by creating that negative pressure in the lungs that's how we should breathe. A lot of times, and this is one of my big assessment points when someone comes in, is I'll have them just take a breath. And more often than not, you'll see the shoulders raise, you'll see the traps activate, and yep. they'll breathe in what seems to be their chest. Right. And, um, and that's indi- indicated, that indicates some, I, w- I don't want to say core dysfunction, but maybe just some basic motor patterning that can be fixed really quick, or it might be really hard for people to do that. But... 
if we're using our diaphragm to breathe correctly, that means our diaphragm and pelvic floor are facing each other, and that makes sure our midsection is aligned. A lot of times you're breathing up above, or you're expanding in your chest, <clears throat> your ribs flare out, and now you don't have that pressurized canister to kind of stabilize through your midsection. Right, right. Um, but So once you've got that down, so just going back to basic breathing, being able to do that right, adding that to any core exercise, that's just going to make it so much more applicable to everything else and you're gonna be a lot safer and you're being a lot stronger. If you're holding your breath through something, you're kind of trying to survive through that movement. Yeah. You're not really adapting through that movement. Gray Cook says that if you're holding your breath, you're just trying to survive a movement or you don't own that movement. So yeah, I'll cue the plank. It's uh that's how I do a lot of my core exercises. I don't necessarily use time. I'll do it for breath. For breath. So like, hey, you're yeah. gonna hold this plank for five breaths. Yep. That's it, a lot of the core ebook that Nate and I are working okay. on. We're working with breaths and Yeah. And that was a new concept for me and I I really dig it. It's cool. And actually I got that from my uh the guy I work with at Scenic City Strength and Fitness, uh, Matt Green. He's been a mentor cool. mentor to me in a lot of ways. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that. And then as I started learning more, it just ma- it makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, then and you can use that as a way to even generate more tension by once you've got that basic breathing down, you can hold a plank. You know, generating that tension, breathing correctly into your abdomen. Um, every time you exhale, blow, exhale longer than you think you, you can because you've got more air in there. You'll feel your abs tighten up. Yep. Uh, you'll feel that tension rise. And then the goal will be to try and keep that tension and try and breathe behind that. And every time you exhale, just try and ratchet up that tension a little more. Okay. And after five breaths, you'll be squeezing a lot harder than you think you could have if you were just yeah. like yeah i'm squeezing as hard as i can i'm generating that tension okay breathe and ratchet it up each breath yep and i think i think practicing that while you're training is is a good way to not get into unhealthy stressful breathing while you're performing absolutely you know and and breathing is a huge part of your performance it's a huge part of how strong you feel how strong you are mm-hmm. um you know are there specific ways people should like is there a way to simplify how they're breathing is it in through the nose out through the mouth is it you know i don't know what's when we're working on you know trying to reprogram a breathing pattern that needs a little bit of work i'll have people lay on the ground put their forehead on the back of their hands okay and so when they inhale they'll so they're face down on the ground yes yes. okay so when they breathe in they want to try and feel their belly push into the ground okay that's the first step feeling that and it is easier if you really think about breathing in through your nose instead of your mouth, um, then exhaling through your mouth, it just it gets more diaphragm action that mm-hmm. way subconsciously. Um, you don't have to think about okay, how do I do this? It just it seems to work a lot better for a lot of yep. people. And I once heard I was listening to a, a podcast about breathing, and and this the woman I can't recall her name said that if you breathe in through your mouth, it almost always feels stressful yeah and if you breathe in through your nose it feels relaxing and i don't know if it's just because she told me that that that's how i feel when i try it but it totally is like it feels more uh more panicked when i'm breathing through my mouth and it feels much more relaxing through my nose and i don't know what the science is behind this but if you just think about it and i'm just straight up speculating here sure sure we we do a lot of that i reserve the right to be wrong and change my mind in the future but if you think about it if we're breathing through our mouth, most of the times it's because we need more air because we're in a stressful situation. Right. So there's a chance we yep. could be hardwired for that where, hey, you know, I need to run. And way back in the past, I need to run away from this lion. Right. Obviously, I'm not going to run with my mouth closed, breathing deep through my nose. I'm getting as much air in my lungs as possible. Yep. So that could be a hardwired thing where, hey, I'm taking a big deep breath through my mouth. My body's going to detect, hey, this could be an issue. Yep. Um, th- I'm, we need to go fight or flight. Yeah, we need totally. To get get could that be. Sympathetic, sympathetic nervous system up mm-hmm. and... And or it's and just because the lady told me that's how I'm going to feel. Yep. And, <laughs> One of the two. Yeah, or that too. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. So yeah, I really, breathing in through the nose is a great way to start. And yep. I mean, you think about, you know, yoga or meditation all the time. How do you, how are you supposed to breathe in that? Right. It's through right. the nose. Yeah. And I totally sidelined you though. We're, so we're face down on the ground. Oh yeah. Forehead on our backs of our hands. Breathe in through your nose. You should feel it kind of, your bellies. Yeah, pressing into the ground. And that would be step one. And then eventually as that gets more and more comfortable, um, you'd want to start getting that expansion in the sides. 
too. Okay. Like you said, canister earlier. Yeah, That's canister. that same wanna, feeling. Like it's a band all the way around. Yeah, and you, you want to expand 360 degrees around there. And okay. Uh, a lot of one of the systems I use to help train to train a lot of people, we call it crocodile breathing, just because you see co- crocodiles laying yeah. on the ground. Yeah. Bellies expand. Yeah, I never off. thought of that. So, um, yeah. and that, crocodiles breathe way better than you. They do. They also got a lot bigger <laughs> mouths too. <laughs> but um, yeah. So those are the big things. That's a great way to start. Um, then you can uh, kind of change into different positions. Lay on your back, one hand on your chest, one hand on your stomach, and then when you breathe in, you want your stomach hand to move. Mm-hmm. keeping your chest still that's a great way to kind of tell tell and see where yeah where and then do you eventually take these same you know the same sort of breathing pattern into the movements is that the same thing you're looking for yeah later on cool. yeah absolutely especially in core work when i'm coaching someone i'm watching hey you're doing say you're holding a plank for breath, and i'm watching them and seeing where i'm seeing expansion there yeah and um if i see someone either start to hold their breath or their shoulders start moving it's time to maybe cut that exercise and you're done with that set because the quality's gone. Yep. And why does that breathing help? Like, I, I mean, I think I know where we're back to, but people are going to say, well, I can do it without breathing that way. You know, I can hold this plank for 10 seconds and squeeze everything and breathe with my mouth, you know? So I think that's outside. I don't know what that is. Are we being robbed? Is that what's going on here? Bless your house is being robbed. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy noises. I don't know if you guys could hear that. Or maybe it was alien Christmas carolers. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, what's the point of doing that? Do you hold your breath when you rock climb? Do I? Yeah. <laughs> on Golden Harvest, I do. <laughs> no, I don't think you do. And yeah. I think... I think that's, you know, exactly what I'm thinking. Like, to perform your best, you need to breathe your yep. best as well. And training is a way of stressing the body to adapt, and you mm-hmm. can control the level of stress in your training, physical stress, mechanical yep. stress. And if you're able to kind of manage that and kind of stress mm-hmm. your ability to breathe correctly, you're building up that ability to breathe correctly under stress. So in a performance situation, you don't automatically re- revert to that fight or flight stress breathing or start holding your breath you're able to kind of breathe a little bit better keep everything in better alignment and get better core activation through all that yep and i've seen you do this multiple times and i actually was going to try it the other day and i was like i can't time this like paul times it but on multiple occasions i've seen someone climbing they're holding their breath and you exhale while you're spotting you make this big exhale and that reminds them to breathe and every single time you've done it someone notices oftentimes it's the climber when the climbers already noticed it and they're aware of it people on the ground start noticing it and they're like oh you know that was that was so cool you breathed and then she remembered to breathe or he you know i remember a guy coming down off of a boulder the other day and you did exactly that and he came down and he was like thank you that was great you know i i remembered to breathe as soon as you said it or as soon as you breathed you know and i think that's really cool that's a that's a cool cue um that that maybe people could use you know for their friends when they're holding their yeah. breath and for themselves it helps me to breathe because i remember that you would be standing down there breathing <laughs> like you would exhale and the first time that happened to me was on a route at the red river gorge notoriously bouldery route stunning the hog yeah where you have to try hard yeah, pretty amazing. much the whole route it's like By what 18 way. moves or something just to, short just boulder you're yep. bouldering but uh cory hair um, oh crazy i'm trying hard through 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 a sequence there and i just hear him from the ground doing that <sighs> Yeah, and then I relaxed and started breathing. I was like, "Whoa, that's awesome!" That's and really And knowing what I know now about how to cue and was he doing it on purpose? Yes, he did that to me, okay. and I've always done that. So yeah, that's cool. That's all, Corey. Her, thank yeah, you, Corey. Good job, Corey. Um, that was back when I was like nineteen years old or something like that, and it stuck with me. But um, yeah, it's a great technique, and it really it really shows what breathing can do. Yeah, you know, and and shows how easy it is to forget about it because. Until I saw you do it, until I recognized that's, that that was so effective, even when I'm coaching, I'm not really paying attention to, are they holding their breath when they're trying these moves or trying this boulder? 
but now I now I pay much more attention to that. And when you dig into, we kind of touched on it a little bit ago, but how breathing is linked to your stress response and your nervous yeah. system. Yep. When you stress breathe, you know, you're breathing up high. That's your uh, sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight response. Right. That deep belly breathing, that's more parasympathetic, which is more resting, more recovery. So obviously you want to do that deep breathing on a rest, on a route, so you can get into that recovery mode. But also going from a stress aspect, because it kind of works both ways. If you're stressed, you're going to revert to that breathing. Also breathing, uh, the stress breathing, if you stress breathe first, it's going to lead to rising stress right but also <laughs> someone screaming at you to breathe isn't the most stress-free way to get you to remember how to breathe yeah so, annalisa yeah. yells at me all the time that i sound panicked <laughs> like when she's having a hard time when i'm trying to help her i sound panicked you know and that's the other day annalisa was you know working on what what became her hardest send the next session but she was like, I need Paul here. I, I just need Paul here. Like she was not happy with my coaching at all. So, so yeah, you're right. You know, that definitely breathing makes is a big part of your stress level and of your performance and, yeah. and practicing that and making it part of the form that you should be really paying attention mm -hmm. to and practicing in your strength training is hugely important. It goes back to, you know, little concepts you can pull in one discipline you can apply to other disciplines yeah, very well. That totally. seem wildly unrelated at first. Yep. It all connects. Yeah, just to go back, right back to Josh Waitzkin, you know, that's what that, that book that we kind of started with early in this, this conversation, um, The Art of Learning, he's, he's a chess prodigy. He's a, a push hands, Tai Chi push hands, world champion. He's Jiu -jitsu a jiu-jitsu black belt. Jiu-jitsu black belt. He's just a brilliant learner. Mm -hmm. And that's what his entire book is yeah. about, taking things and making them concepts that you can apply to a lot of different parts of your life. And that's what that's what we're talking about here, the form of strength training you can apply to climbing if you do it well. Yes. You know, and and I've heard Steve Bechtel say it. I don't know who said it first i know i've heard it other places but uh the way you do one thing is the way you do everything and i think that's that's a good enough reason if nothing else to to really pay attention to your form and your strength training absolutely super important yeah all right man thanks for sitting down yeah. with me again anytime man i feel extremely fortunate to have paul corsaro as part of the team uh, he's power company climbing strength and conditioning coach. He's also a good friend. And um, I've learned a ton from Paul. And honestly, I think that after listening to this interview and this conversation, I think that you guys uh, will realize that you've got a lot to learn from Paul as well. So you can find him on the internets at uh, cruxconditioning.com. Um, where he's got uh, a bunch of great blog posts. He does a bullet points and brews every week that pairs um, a good beer, which Paul is a beer connoisseur, um, with some of the, the training things he's been reading on the internet. And honestly, I don't know of a single other person who's as dedicated to learning about the art and science of strength and conditioning as Paul is. So again, I feel really extremely fortunate to have him on board and uh, if you haven't and you're interested check out uh, the kettlebells for climbers ebook that paul and i put together um, we'll also have that available through the app soon and um and paul will be coaching strength and conditioning plans through our app as well um, very very soon so if you're interested in that please feel free to hit me up at powercompanyclimbing.com and um you know, until then, you can share us all over the internets. You can uh, you can look for us on the Facebooks, the Pinterest, and the Instagrams. But uh, you won't find us on the Twitter. Uh, we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time to build.
it's time to build.